one thing I want to remind us of, even as we're kind of just transitioning, before I jump into the word of God, is that we, we must understand when God's spirit moves in a way and defines what it is that he did when he moved. About three, is approximately three weeks ago, I believe it was a Wednesday evening, the Lord cut a covenant with us. The Lord cut a covenant of worship with us, for which... As we said yes to hosting his presence, he brought us into a land called Yes and Amen. That he would give us as our church, as, as Jacob saw, saw it to be the gate of heaven. This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven with angels ascending and descending. That we would be able to bring individuals into our worship, into the worship of our house. And it would be as if they were in the realm called heaven. That, that heaven on earth in our midst of worship, amen, that, that, God, that God brought us into that. And obviously when you begin to deal with worship, especially worship that releases heaven on earth, you have to deal with idolatry. Much of what's in the way of us worshiping God is usually, I probably even say, I would even dare to say 100% of the time, anything in the way of authentic worship is always false worship or idolatry. Amen. And so so anytime God said, I'm bringing you into this worship covenant, but at the same time, I must clear the house of false worship because so many times false worship is so intertwined with true worship that we don't even really understand. There's superstitions tied into our spirituality. There, there are cultural cultic beliefs that were passed down. Um, generational wise that, that was mixed with Christianity that is not a part of the kingdom nor the Bible that we just grew up in, inserting into the word of God and God is clearing the house of idols. Idols are formed today by ideologies. Amen. Their imaginations, their ideas and perspectives about life and the purpose of life and how we are to matriculate through life that do not reflect the word of God. Amen. They do not reflect the, um, the word of God. Amen. And so, so the Lord has really been just dealing with us about restoring worship and how that restored worship restores family. Amen. That idolatry at the, the core of idolatry is the decimation of family. Where idolatry exists, there'll be issues in marriage. Where you have marital problems, you have worship problems. Where you have parental problems, you have worship problems. Amen. Any, anything that destroys the fabric of family at its course, it, it's, it's, if you look at its root, it's rooted in false worship. The aim of idolatry is to destroy the family. Amen. And so Elijah comes. God raises up Elijah, El, like Jah, the true and living God. He raises up one in his image who has recovered his image to prepare a way for him. God will not use ideas to prepare a way for him. He will not use debaters to prepare a way for him. He only uses those in his image that can demonstrate his likeness. He will not send, amen, when he, when he is ready to come on the scene, he only comes on the scene by way of those who've been conformed into his image or image bearers. Amen, amen. image bearers. The, God doesn't give us ideas to fight with. He conforms us into his image and who, our likeness becomes our weapon. Amen. Our likeness, be, being in the image and likeness of God becomes the actual weapon that we find. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. They're, they, 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 they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Right? Amen. And so, so, so we dealt with that. I want to continue on with idols for a little bit and, and, and clear some other things up. I did not realize this. That as I was writing this, I'm actually going to be publishing this book. I'm already beginning to, to um, I'm already beginning to kind of put this stuff together in a book form. But I'm going to publish this book because I believe that it is, it releases, it 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 now releases a, a measure of, of revival and worship in the house of God. Amen. And so, so I'm going to do that. So let's just pray, and then I'm, I'm going to jump into some. Some thoughts. I kind of want to clean up some stuff. 
some things that the Lord has been, been dropping in my spirit here and there, considering idols and considering worship, and we'll go from there. Father, we just thank you, and we bless you right now for the power of God that comes forth. Oh, Lord God, by way of sword, a double-edged sword that divides between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, we bless you right now for coming in this room and releasing the grace to transform and enter into the likeness of Christ. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 One thing I want to say is this, as we deal with idols, idols influence us, watch this, to either perceive obedience as an obligation or an option. I'm going to say that again. Idolatry or the worship of false gods or idols always influence us to view obedience either as an obligation or an option. Please understand, at the core of all worship is obedience. At the end of the day, obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen. At the end of the day, no matter what we do singing, no matter what we do clapping, no matter what we do dancing, no matter what we do shouting, if that doesn't bring us into obedience, ultimately that's the core of worship is obeying God. If that doesn't bring us into obedience, then we're a sounding brass and tingling cymbals. But idols influence us to either perceive obedience as an obligation or an option and not for what it really is, which is inherent instinct. Ultimately, the son or daughter of God receives obedience as a gift of regeneration. It's not something you have to do. It's something that's a part of your genetic code. We don't obey by obligation. We obey by instinct through being born again. It's not an obligation. I got to do this, this, or this, or it's not an option. God don't care if I miss this. He still loves me. It is now instinct, and I'm going to deal with both. But I need to deal with those two views first. Idols influence us to either perceive obedience as an obligation or an option. The believer who views obedience as an obligation directly due to idolatry views obedience in statements like this. You got to live right. You you, got to get the Holy Ghost. You got to forgive people. You got to treat everybody right. They now state or or make obedience an obligation, something that God makes us do. Then on the other hand, the other believer or the believer who views obedience as an option due to idolatry views obedience in statements like this. God knows you're not going to do right all the time. He knows you're still going to choose wrong things sometimes. He knows that you're still going to have a closet and you're still going to do stuff you ain't got no business doing. Both now, viewing obedience as an obligation or an option, keep us under the influence of idolatry. Obedience is not an obligation for the son or daughter of God. Neither is it an option for the son or daughter of God. Amen? It is we inherit obedience as instinct through the worship of the true and living God. I need y'all to get that. If you don't get nothing else, I say we inherit obedience as an instinct through the worship of the true and living God. As long as we're living by, by, by obligation, we're still under the Adamic uh, law of the Old Testament. As long as we're living as, for obedience as an option, we're living lawless. Right. Amen? We inherit obedience as instinct. Everybody say instinct. Through the worship of the true and living God. What is instinct? Instinct is innate impulse. Right? You blink by instinct. You don't have to think about it. It's innate impulse. Glory, but you breathe by instinct. You don't have to think about it. It's innate impulse. Uh, It is now we obey by instinct or innate impulse, inborn inclinations and tendencies. Right? Instincts are what we do without thinking. To the worshiper of the true and living God, obeying the word is like breathing and walking. It's natural. Can I take it another step? Because we only look at it obeying the law. To the worshiper, joy and peace is like blinking our eyes and chewing our food. It's natural. It's nothing we have to fight for. It's nothing we have to work for. It's built into the DNA and genetic code of the son son and daughter of God. It's given now as a gift. To the worshiper of the true and living God, praising is like smelling. 
It's natural. Well, I don't have to force myself to praise God. It's, it's built into me. I don't have to do it. Glory be to God. We can be anywhere at any time and set it off. There is no warm-up. There is no let's get the, the wheel turning. Glory be to God. That's just inside of me, just like smelling. It's inside. Look at your neighbor tell your neighbor, it's inside of you. When we are worshipers of the true and living God, we inherit obedience as an instinct, and it's no longer an option nor an obligation to us. So to the sons and daughters, uh, being obedient is not following rules. It's being conformed into the image of Christ. It, to, being obedient is not following rules to the son and daughter of God. It's being conformed into the image of Christ. I'm going to say that again. Being obedient to the son and daughter of God ain't the one that said I didn't commit adultery. It ain't the one that said I didn't lust. Because Christ never has to fight with lust. Christ never has to fight with doing any of those things. It's being conformed into the image of Christ. Being joyful is being obedient. If I'm not being joyful, I'm being disobedient. Walking in peace is being obedient. If I'm walking around stressed out, I'm actually being disobedient. Amen? See, so this is what we got to understand. Not being joyful and peaceful by obligation, but by instinct. Amen? I can't help but be at peace. I can't be disobedient. I can't help but be, I wish somebody here would catch that. If you really understand the obedience God is calling us to, you would understand in the worst situation, you can't be stressed out because you can't be disobedient. You would understand when it's heavy, you can't feel overwhelmed because you can't be disobedient. It is now built in obedience. So not being joyful and peaceful by obligation, now I'm not talking about you got to have joy. There you go, going back to obligation. You got to have peace. There you go, going back to obligation. I'm not saying you got to do it. You get to do it at all times. You ain't got to do none of that. You just get to do it all the time. Amen? By instinct. Joy and peace to the son and daughter is like blinking our eyes and chewing our food. It's just what we do. Why are you always smiling? Because I can't be disobedient. I'm being obedient. Amen? So, so, so this, is, this is what we got to understand. The Father has cut a covenant of worship with us where he's not bringing us into obedience to rules. He's bringing us into obedience to his son's victory. We are not to obey rules. We are to obey a victory that was won for us. God Almighty, if you don't get nothing else I said, I hope that hit you like it hit me when God said it to me. We are no longer obeying rules. We are obeying his son's victory. To not walk in joy would be to be disobedient to the victory that he already got from me. Do you understand what I'm saying? To not walk in peace, I'm not obeying rules. I'm, I'm being disobedient to a victory. That was already wrought for me. If I have times, see, there were times in my life, can I help you understand, where I was in situations where I lost my peace. I could get a witness up in here. There were times where I, I lost my ability to remain cool. Amen. But I'm here to tell you right now, it's a new day up in GRRC. You will not lose your cool or your peace anymore because God is going to require obedience. My God. He's not going to require obedience to rules. He's going to make you obey peace. My God. There were times when I lost my joy, but I'm here to tell you it's a new day in GRRC. God, the the Father is requiring us to obey joy. We will no longer lose our joy in this place. It changes how we view obedience. We are not called to obey rules. We obey a victory. God Almighty, no matter how you're pressed, be obedient. No matter how it seems like it's working wrong, be obedient. Glory be to God. And you ain't got to. That's good to me. So, so now, watch this because it's key. Under the old covenant, obedience was unto the law. 
under the new covenant, we're required to obey victory. For us to lose would be for us to be operating in disobedience. Do you understand you can't disobey God and lose? Losing is impossible. That's being disobedient. Glory be to God. Us overcoming is us being obedient. Us being victorious is us being obedient. Not being obedient by obligation, but by way of instinct. Overcoming and being victorious, that's like walking and talking to us. Glory be to God. It don't matter what I face tomorrow. I already know I'm going to be victorious because I have that built in. I have to obey a victory. I am not obeying rules. I am not obeying dogmas. I am not obeying church structures. I'm obeying a victory that says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That nay, in all things, I'm more than a conqueror that everything is working out for my good I'm just obeying a victory there are so many believers who are being disobedient because they're still trying to obey the law y'all know that right there's so many believers that are in disobedience right now because they we think that God is requiring us to obey the law So while we're obeying the law, we ain't got no peace. Being disobedient to peace, while we're obeying the law, we ain't got no joy. Being disobedient to joy, while we're obeying the law, we're even disobeying disobeying righteousness. We're disobeying anger because the anger of man can never bring forth the righteousness of God. And we mad at sinners all day long, talking about how wicked and nasty they are sitting in the seat of the scornful. Y'all ain't hear what I'm saying? Do you understand that ain't talking about sinners? That's talking about people who talk about sinners all the time. You're not at the seat of the right hand. You're at the seat of the scornful that always talk about how they drink, how they smoke how they cuss you're no better than nobody needs you to critique how bad it is we all know that we need somebody that'll get on the right hand glory be to God and start being conformed into the image of the one who ever overcame it all glory There are so many believers stuck in a form of idolatric religion who are living in disobedience to Jesus' victory because they're still trying to obey rules. Amen. So many believers are actually obeying the rules of church but living in direct disobedience to the victory of Christ. I come to church every week and you're disobeying God every week because you come in here broken. You come in here discouraged. You Glory be to God. You come in here disappointed. You come in here heavy. You're being disobedient to your victory. But how can you be heavy and you got the victory? How can you be ready to quit and you have the victory? How can you be ready to throw in the towel and you have the victory? Stop disobeying your victory. Glory be to God. It's a You're not obedient because you showed up for prayer. You're obedient when you can pray with a smile on your face. When you can come out of prayer light. When you can come into praise and worship. Nobody has to warm you up because you don't feel like praising. You came here obedient to a victory. And when you know you got the victory, everybody, nobody has a problem praising. When you know your team is about to win, nobody has a problem praising. When the Dallas Cowboys won, did you have a problem praising? To not praise would be disobeying the victory. I am not trying to obey rules. I'm just called to obey a victory. Because I heard in my Bible early one Sunday morning, my my God, that there was an earthquake and a stone was rolled away. I'm obeying a victory. My victory says, why? Look for the living among the dead. I never, I'm obeying a victory. So, so most believers are struggling in the area of obedience to victory because they don't know that's the required obedience that we're called to. We're not called to obey the Mosaic law because by the law shall no man be justified. You don't curse no more good, but you still ain't caught, you're still not obeying yet until you're walking in joy, righteousness, and peace. For the kingdom of God is right, for the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no 
guess what? Tomorrow you get to have more peace than you had today. And the next day you get to have more peace than you had the day before. And the next day you get to have peace, to, more peace than you had before. And eventually you get to the realm where he says, and the God of peace will crush Satan. There comes a time where your peace gets to a place where you no longer have to fight. He just crushed Satan under you. The enemy cannot attack us without chaos. Our peace is the enemy's chaos. Where there's peace, there cannot be an attack. Amen? And so, so, so watch this. True worship doesn't make you do something. True worship makes you into someone. True worship doesn't make us do anything. You got to pray. He makes you into a prayer warrior. Come on. You got to give God praise. No, I don't got to. I'm made to pray. My God, I'm going to praise him. Ain't nobody got to tell me to praise him. I'm made that way. We keep on trying, uh, trying to have somebody make us do what we can be made to do if we stop trying to have somebody make us do it. God didn't promise to make us. He promised to make us. I wish y'all caught that in the spirit. Ah, glory be to God. I told Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house. And I told, I'm going to speak to you when you get there. I, 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 I tell Israel that you are like the clay and I am the potter in your hand. I am not trying to tell you to do something. I'm trying to make you We're trying to get the Bible to make us do something when God, the Father wants to make us. Once you're made, you don't have to be made to do. The only, the only time you have, somebody has to make you pray is when you haven't been made yet. The only time somebody has to make you praise is when you haven't been made yet. And if you haven't been made yet, that's because you keep on trying to use the word to give you another rule to follow instead of allowing the word to be the potter's hand. Glory be to God. Every word in that Bible is God putting his hand on my heart and shaping it. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. That is God's hand putting his hand on my heart and shaping it to love the Lord God with all... I will bless the Lord at all times. It's not an obligation. That's the potter saying, if you understand what I'm really doing, I'm going to put my hand on your... He doesn't make us. He makes us. And, so idolatry, idolatry hands us over to defective devotion that makes faith about doing something instead of making us someone. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, God made me a praiser. God made me, made me a prayer warrior. God made me to lay hands on sick and they recover. Come on, God made me to cast out devils. You do not have to do any of those things. You're I'm made for that. So, but idols, idols make it impossible to be conformed into his image. Why? The worship of idols confine us to a realm called idol. Man, you talked about that a little bit. The worship of idols, I-D-O-L, confines us to a realm of idol called I-D-L-E. To the degree we worship idols, we will be idol. They confine us to a realm called idol in the area of change and transformation. See, anytime I'm worshiping an idol, I will be confined to a realm called idol, I-D-L-E, in change and transformation. In other words, I can want to change. 
and I will actually believe God is going to have to take time to bring me into that change that he has now, I actually want God to give me what he died to give me, but I don't believe I can have it today because I'm worshiping an idol that has confined me to idol, I-D-L-E. So even though I want to change today, I can't change today. It's going to take time. Anytime, oh God, anytime you know God died to give it to you, he ain't going to die to give it to you. It's not going to be something he's done in the future, but you now know he's already given it, but you're saying, I can't have it now. I'm going to get it later. I have now been confined to being an idolater. I do later. Go, y'all missing what I just said. That's what it is. It now makes me idle. I know God promised to deliver me now, but I do later. I know God promised to free me now, but I do later. I know God promised to break the addiction now, but I do later. I know God took porn out of my life, but I do I'm an idolater, so it makes me idle in mind and heart. I know what's right, but in my mind, I say I'm still going to do what's wrong, and God is going to deliver me later. I know God died, so that I ain't got to do this, but he's going to change me. Anytime you are telling a God who has made available your deliverance now that he's going to give it to you later. You are not worshiping the God of, of, of Yahweh. You're not worshiping Yahweh. You are not worshiping Jehovah. You are worshiping a false God that has told you even though God died to give it to you now, he ain't got power to deliver on his promise right now. I'm here to tell you, the only one that'll tell you you can't have what he died to give you right now, it is not God. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the what you waiting for? I want to change my attitude. What you waiting for? I want to stop getting mad all the time. What you waiting for? I want to stop being discouraged. What are you waiting for? You're waiting on God because he needs time. What God do you think saved you? You're waiting on God because he needs six months? You're waiting on God because he got to pull another rabbit out the hat, give you a word that'll finally get you there? We approach the living God as an idol God and therefore stay stuck way longer than we had to stay stuck. You could be free right now. You are beyond your struggle right now. You are beyond your depression right now. But if you put off what you can have now for later, God will put off what he wants to release in your life for later. Why are you disqualifying yourself from your now saying later? Now, 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 God, I ain't going to change now, but I need you to bless me now. Well, hold off. If you put off me changing you, then I'm going to put off me changing your life. The people who are getting it now are the people that are saying, God, you can do it right now. My God, if there's something wrong with me, you can change me tonight. My God, if I'm missing it, you can shift me right now. I don't care if my daddy did it, my granddaddy did it, and my great-great-granddaddy. All I need is one moment. Nobody changes overnight. Yeah, if you worship in a false god. God don't need a night. All he needs is a moment. Faith cometh by. Many of our lives ain't changing because we keep on telling God later to change my attitude. How you going to get a later change of heart and expect a now change of life? Now for now. You want something now? Give him something now. Now for now. I want to pray for it. I want to pray more now for now. I want to praise now for now. Glory to the name of Jesus.
Idolatry makes us an idolater or an I do later. What God can do now. What are you saying God is going to do later what he's already given you and you can have right now? What are you putting off? Do you understand that if you continue to say later to now, eventually you'll never see now? Guess what? In the next second, it'll be now. What you going to say later? In the next five minutes, it's going to be now. What you going to say then? How can you ever get to now when you continue to say later? You... Not now, later. What's what later going to be now? What you going to say then, later? Somebody shout right now. I'm changing right now. My marriage is blessed right now. My mind is renewed right now. My heart is shifted right now. I am delivered right now. I'm a prayer warrior right now. I'm a praiser right now. I'm not putting this thing off. Not one... Now, my God, I'm free now. Conde Bansi, Sreban Sunday, the Devil God, I feel that now. Do you feel that? When you start operating in the now realm, you start receiving the suddenlies of God. Stuff starts breaking out all around you. Before you know it, you're trapped in a cell called favor. You're trapped in a cell called goodness. And all I know is, is when I heard God, I said now. All I know is when I heard the word, I said now. All I know is, is when he convicted me, I said now. When he said it's time to change, I said now. And now I'm trapped in a place called favor. I'm here to tell you right now, now turns into favor. Now turns into favor. Later turns into later. It's as simple as that. If my change is available now, but I continue to say it's coming later, then I'm functioning as an idolater to some measure. I'm not saying you're just a complete, we're not, we're just complete worshipers of false gods, but we still have them influencing measures of our worship expression. We have to clear those out. Amen. I, I still have stuff influencing my worship expression. There's idols influencing my worship expression. I got to say it for me so you can. Amen. If I don't say it, then you ain't going to say it. That I have to get those idols out. They, they're the idols of my fathers. We spent the last two and a half years, we don't even understand how many idols we've got out the house over the last two years. And that's why we're in the move of God. I had to get my father's idols out. Amen. And so, so, so watch this. Whatever God I'm worshiping, if I'm talking about what God has made available now for later, is not the living God. We do not have to wait for later for something Jesus has already done and made available to us now. Come on, somebody shout, it's available now. Turn with me, go to scripture, Matthew 12, verse 33. Hallelujah. I believe as we enter into this now realm of response to the word, that we're going to see healings now. That we're going to see eyes open now. I believe that we're trying to see stuff happen now when we're saying, God, saying to God on a personal level later. We want to release public now on, on our personal closets we're saying later. I believe as God brings us into the now in our heart, that he'll put now on the laying on of our hands. He's just removing idols out the way. Watch this. Matthew 12, verse 33. This is so powerful. It says, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his what? 
fruit. When we talk about trees, we already know this. We've been in this for a long time. We are like trees planted by the rivers of living water that bring forth its fruit in its season. When, we were, when, when the Bible refers to trees, he's referring to men who are planted somewhere. Amen? You could be a tree and be a bad tree. Just because you planted, it ain't just about being planted. Because there's good and bad trees. Amen? But I want to focus specifically on the fruit. Right? Now, we understand John 15. I said something, and I will not step back from it because I believe it to true, be true. We always talk about the Matthew 28 commission, but I believe the Matthew 28 commission can only be fulfilled by those who are functioning in John 15 communion. We're saying go out to the whole world, amen, but the power to go out and reach all nations comes from the intimacy of uninterrupted communion. Without John 15 communion, we are wasting our time trying to fulfill the Matthew 28 commission. Because we're going naked. To be unanointed is to be naked. You ain't got no clothes on. Amen? All we can do at that point is debate with people. The commission ain't debating with people. The commission is the works that I did shall you do. And even greater works. Amen? And, and so now fruit. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine and you are the what? Branch. What's the relationship? The, in other words, a branch, all it has to, for, to, to bear fruit, it has to do nothing, no work, no effort. It is not by works. It's simply by staying connected. And if the branch stays connected to the vine, then it has the privilege of making visible on its branch what's invisible in the vine. All the branch does is manifest the vine. God said, you're the vine, and I'm, there's healing in me. But if I don't have somebody in communion, it'll never be... There's power in me. There's anointing in me. There's world-changing glory in me. But I need a branch. I need somebody that's so into me that they refuse to take their minds off of me. They refuse to take their lips off of me. They refuse to take their focus off of me. I just need some branches. And I'll allow them to manifest what out of out of them what's inside of me that the world can't see without them manifesting it. But then he begins to break down fruit. Now watch this. Fruit can be defined. I'm taking fruit to another. I'm, I'm making a more robust meaning of fruit. All right, taking it to another place. So, so watch this. Fruit can be defined as the result of our worship. Now I'm going to take my time with this. Fruit can be defined as the result of our worship. The outcome of our worship is fruit. Right? How can you say that? Because it's connection. It's relationship. That's how we, we worship. What is fruit? Fruit is image. To bear fruit is to bear image. Or to be an image bearer. I'm only bearing fruit to the degree I'm bearing his image on my likeness. To the degree I look like if my worship is it causing me to enter into greater measures of his image, then my worship ain't bearing fruit. If after I lift my hands, my heart don't look more like his, my worship ain't bearing fruit. If after I sing the song, my thought life don't look more like his, then I'm not bearing fruit. It's fruitless. So worship that doesn't end in more of his image is worship that's not bearing. To bear fruit is to bear image or to be an image bearer. Now watch this. Watch this. I want to take it a step further. Fruit is the outcome of true worship, which is access to more of his image. To bear fruit is to bear image. Fruit is inward identity. Listen to me. Fruit to the believer is inward identity. The image of Christ is looking like Christ on the inside. 
It is not the car. I, driving a Rolls Royce is not being Christ-like. Living in a mansion is not, it's nothing outward. It is the inward nature of God living, abiding, and functioning on the inside of us. You want me to prove it to you? Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. How many of you wear love? Joy. How many of you wear joy? Peace. How many of you wear peace? Not unless you wear a peace sign, and that don't count. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, goodness, gentleness, and faith. Against such there is no. Tell me which one of those things we put on. To bear fruit is to have the inward identity of Christ, to have what goes on inside of him while he walked this earth, going on inside of us while we walk this earth. Everybody understand what I'm saying? That's so important. So the fruit of the Spirit is the inward identity or inward image of Christ. After we finish lifting our hands, do we want the will of God, will of the Father, more than we did before we lifted our hands up? After we finish singing our song, do we want to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him more after we finish singing that song? Do we, glory be to God, because if not, our worship is barren. We just sing and song. We're standing in the marketplace, idle, read it. He said, you're idle. We're standing in the marketplace, ain't changing in mind, ain't changing in heart, and saying, why weren't you impressed with our dance? We sung for you, and you ain't dance. We cried for you, and you didn't mourn. Why? Because your dance and your song means nothing if it doesn't produce fruit. And that fruit remains. You don't have patience one week and lose it the next. That fruit remains. You don't have peace one month and lose it the next. That fruit remains. God Almighty. Peoples whose worship is not conforming them into his image are peoples whose worship is not bearing fruit. All true worship bears the fruit of inward image. The inward image or inward identity called Christos, Christ. Amen? Amen? Trust me, the more you look like him on the inside, the more you'll stand out to people on the out. People will stop and look at you and don't even know why they can't take their eyes off of you. Everybody say inward image. Come on, everybody say inward image. I'm telling you, when we really understand that our worship has the power to bear fruit, we'd worship differently. I promise you, you wouldn't go through the motions. I promise you, you wouldn't do it without mental focus. I promise you wouldn't do it without being effectual and fervent. I'm being changed every time I go in and out. I'm bearing fruit. Go to Matthew chapter 7, verse number 15. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Watch this. Come on, we, we got to be obedient to a victory. Hallelujah. I can't help but clap my hands. I got to be obedient. Hallelujah. Watch this. Watch this. Now remember, the bearing fruit is inward image of Christ. Matthew 7, verse 15. Look at what Jesus says. He's talking about false prophets. He says, beware of false prophets. Why? Which come to you in sheep's clothing, but what? Inwardly. In, remember I talked about inward image, looking like Christ on the inside. But inwardly, they are what? You shall know them how? Inwardly. They're inward self. Wolves always eat sheep. Wolves always eat sheep. They don't target people in the church because they want to connect with them. They target them to turn them into wolves. I need to teach you how to be in the church but not follow the leader. Like me. <laughs> they eat wolves. Oh, if you hang out with them, you'll still come to the church. You just won't follow the leader. Beware. <laughs> 
Because who they are inwardly. I, what you think about what pastor said? Beware. We could be doing so much more. How you feel about them being in that place? I don't know why, Pastor. It just don't seem like they fit there. Right? Because I'm, I'm trying to make you like me. I'm trying to teach you how to sit in the pew but not follow the leader. Right? That's a whole nother message. Inwardly, they are what? Inwardly, they are ravening wolves, ready to eat up the sheep. You can't listen to everything. Y'all just listen to everything he say. You got to think for yours. Let me eat you up. <laughs> Watch this. You shall know them by their what? Fruits, their inward identity. Why? Because that's not Christ-like. Amen. Amen. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Watch this. Even so, every God tree. There's none good but God. Every good tree. There's none good but God. Every God tree bringeth forth God fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A God tree cannot. If I'm like God, I cannot. A God tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And by wherefore by that, by their fruits, you shall do what? Man, that's so heavy and there's so much there and I ain't even got time for it all. But I'm going to share a little bit of that with you. Every tree that doesn't bring forth God fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. The amount of fire we experience is a reflection of the amount of bad fruit we're bearing. Every, are you going through hell right now? It's a reflection of how much bad fruit you're bearing. How, every tree that bringeth forth bad fruit, first I'm going to cut you down. I'm going to cut down your money. I'm going to cut down your supply. I'm going to cut down your pump. I'm going to cut down your options. I'm going to cut down everything. And then I'm going to throw you in the fire. And you're going to have inward turmoil. You know when you're wrestling inwardly, that's, that's God burning that fruit. That's God burning up that fruit of a perspective that's not like his, of a nature that's not like his. You're looking at the problem a way that he's not looking at the problem, so he needs to let you go into the fire so he can burn up that fruit, so he can burn up that attitude, so he can burn up that perspective, so he can burn up that ideology, so he can... You got to understand when God is burning bad fruit. Why am I wrestling on the inside? Because God said, I got to burn that. Why am I struggling? Because God said, I got to burn that. Fire, fires we deal with are a direct result of how much corrupt fruit we're bearing. Can I be a witness up in here? I've been through a lot of fires. And I came to find out that they wasn't all because of the enemy. I came to find out that when God was ready to bring me into a greater fruit-bearing time, he not only cut the fruit that I, he said, first of all, I'll do one thing. If you're bearing fruit, I'm going to cut you. You earned a cut. See, you think when God promotes you, you're going to earn ease? You think you're just going to earn open doors and, and fluff? No, you earn cut. You earn being cut on when you bear fruit for God. And then he says, the bad fruit, I'm going to burn it. I want a promotion. You want a cut. Hello? In the words of my, my, my niece and nephew riding in Cortland, hello. Yeah. Right? Our, our inward issues are the means for which the father burns bad fruit. What are you inwardly wrestling with right now? God's word to you is let it burn. 
What are you struggling with right now mentally? God's word to you is let it burn. What fear are you fighting with right now? God said let it burn. The reason why you fear is because you have something inside of you that is not the fruit of me, and I got to let you go through until it burns. Do you understand that fear is never situational? It's always identificational. Fear is never situational. It's always identificational. What am I saying? There could be two people on the same roller coaster, one of them fear and one of them don't. It's not about the roller coaster. It's about the identity of the person on the roller coaster. What am I saying? I'm saying this. Uh, frustration is not situational. It's identificational. There's two people that are dealing with the same weight. One of them is ready to cuss everybody out. The other one is over there singing. Why? Because it has nothing to their frustration. has nothing to do with the situation and everything to do with their identification. Are you sick and tired right now? I'm here to tell you. It has nothing to do with your situation and everything to do with your identification. Are you ready to quit right now? It has nothing to do with your situation and everything to do with your identification. Are you saying this is too much right now? I'm here to tell you there's two people doing the same job. One of them is going to quit tomorrow. The other one has been there for 10 years. It, their quitting has nothing to do with the situation and everything to do with their identification. Your, me and your condition right now has nothing to do with anything but who we are on the inside. Right? This is too much for me. That's because of who you are on the inside. That has nothing to do with what's happening. Help us today. God is trying to bring us to the place where we can bear fruit. And that fruit remains. God don't want to give us peace when things get better. He wants to give us peace when things get worse. And when it get better, that peace remains. And when it get worse, that peace still remains. Amen. People need anchors. Because there's too many believers that are too unstable. Right. Amen? Right. In the things of God. All right. Let me move on. I'm almost done. Let me, I'm, I promise you I'm about, to, I'm about to close out. All right. <clears throat> it goes on to say in Matthew 7, it goes on to say, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Everybody say evil fruit. Evil, evil panaros. Panaros is the Greek word, it literally means hurtful fruit, fruitful of labors, fruitful of annoyances, fruitful of hardships, and fruitful of harassments. It's literally fruit that feeds people labors, annoyances, hardships, and harassment. Do you know I can feed you harassment right now? I could free feed you annoyance right now? Y'all know that, right? And you know believers do it to other believers all the time. You're going to get fed up sometimes. Eat that. Guess what? If you eat that, you just fed, you just fed off of annoyances. I guarantee you, in not too long in the near future, you're going to get fed up. Because you got fed that. And you ate it. Life gets hard. And we all want to quit sometimes. Eat that. I just fed you harassment. Life, I just gave a license. You just gave a license to life to harass you by eating those words. You can tell them by their fruit. Because the stuff that they feed you takes you through. And justifies it why it's happening. The stuff they feed you makes you weak. You're going you gonna to hate your spouse sometimes. You ain't going to want to look at them in the face. Eat that. You can tell them by their Right? So now, what we got to understand is, if somebody gives you that, guess what they did? They fed you out of their inward identity. That's why you can tell that ain't, that ain't God. You can tell them by their fruit. That ain't God. Right? I'm going to take you one other place and I'm closing. Is that okay? I'm just going to take you to this last place because I want to show you 
what ultimately happens in idolatry when we give, when we bear wrong fruit and how we try to offer wrong fruit, fruit to God. And in order to do that, I want to take you to the book of Samuel in just one minute. It was the time in which Israel, because of the wickedness of the priesthood, lost the ark of God. It was under the Elionic priesthood. It was under the, the priesthood of Eli. He had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas were wicked sons who would see the women lined up at the church doors desperate for help and would take advantage of them in their desperate straits, sleeping with the women of the church. Not only that, the priest had a certain ritual for which to finish the sacrifice. They had to boil the sacrifice for so long, right? And then the people who brought the sacrifice were to get their portion, and the priest was to get what's left. They were coming in while the sacrifice was still in seething, taking it so they didn't have to share it with the sacrificer. So the sacrifice was coming, the sacrificer was coming to sacrifice the lamb, the ox, or whatever they were sacrificing, and they were getting no parts of the sacrifice. The priest was taking it all. So men began to despise. Nobody wanted to give sacrifice no more. And although Eli's sons was doing all this, all he did was bring them in the office, slap them on the hand, and say, you know, y'all know better than that. Right? And so God didn't go to Eli and Hophni and Phinehas. When you're a father, that's why y'all better understand there's certain things that I can't let you do and get away with. Because they're not, he's not going to come to you. I need to come to the man of the house. So he tells Eli, I'm cutting off your priesthood and I'm cutting off everything that piss against the wall. Since you don't know how to rear sons, I'm going to make sure you never have another one. And I'm going to kill the two you got. Right? Because of that, they're fighting the Philistines. The ark of God gets taken. It's the presence of God. The Philistines take the ark and bring it to, 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 to Philistine. And I believe it was, Lord God, it was Ekron, Gath. I think it was Ekron was the first city they brought it to. They bring it to Ekron and sit it in the temple with their god, Dagon. The first night they sit the ark of God in the temple with Dagon, Dagon's not face forward where it's actually laying prostrate before the ark. Lord, you should have been able to get that. So the, the priests come in, sit Dagon back up, the Philistines now. And the next night, the Dagon is knocked back over and his head and arms are severed. Then God begins to break out and punish them for trying to put a true and living God with false gods. I'm trying to help you to happen. I'm trying to help you understand what happens when we try to mix false worship with worship. See, they were trying to say uh, God, the God of Israel is just like our God that we made up. And so God began to punish him. That's why I want to pick up the story. First Samuel chapter five. We're still dealing with, 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 with false worship. I'm just going to deal with this. I'm going to hit this point. There's so much more here, but I know I don't have time to hit it like I need to. Because false worship will cause you to leave your children. That's a whole nother one because the Bible says that when they, no, I ain't going to go into it. We'll get it next time. I want to say it so bad, but I get off. First Samuel chapter 5. Because idolatry always decimates family. And it's proven all throughout here. I'm going to show you all some stuff that's going to blow your mind. I promise you. 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse number 1. Look what it says. And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. That's the first place. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And when they arose early on the morning, the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Verse 5. Therefore, neither 
neither the priests of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod unto this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon Ashdod, and he destroyed them and smote them with emrods, hemorrhoids, pussy growths at the bottom of their anus area and in their groin. So every time they tried to get rid of waste, it hurt. Man, that's a whole nother message. Y'all missed it because that's what idolatry does. You know you're wrong, but it'll hurt to get rid of what was. Why is it hurting you to change and you know it's wrong? So now they don't want to get rid of waste because it hurts them too bad. They don't want to admit they're wrong because that hurts. That's a whole, man, there's so much in there. Even Ashdod unto the coast thereof. Watch this, verse 7. And when the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, The ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us. His hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon our God. There's a time when the presence of God is going to be restored to the church where the, the entertainment business ain't going to use his name no more. Where the sports industry ain't going to use his name no more. Where these business tycoons ain't going to want to use his name no more. There'll be, there'll be consequences for it. God is going to restore the sanctity of his presence. Verse 8, they sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be carried about unto Gath. And they carried the ark of God of Israel about thither. And it was so that after they had carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against the city with a great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both small and great, and they had emeroids in their secret places. Amen. Big pussy, but not not small ones. I'm talking about big growths where they had to walk sidewards because if they rubbed their legs together, there were pussy growths in between their legs that would hurt if they rubbed together. So the men are walking around like this because they're trying to put God in a class with false gods. They're walking around struggling in secret places. God, I'm trying to help you understand what happens. When we try to worship another God and mix it with the worship of the true and living God, you'll always have issues in secret places. You'll always struggle in secret. Anytime you're worshiping false gods, you will, you will not be able to be in secret and do the right thing. You will always be defeated in the dark. How in the world can we be worshipers of God and being getting whooped in secret? I come to church and worship God, but watch porn in secret. I'm worshiping another God, and therefore I have emeroids in my private parts. Because if we're worshiping the God, if we learn how to host the God who sees in secret, we would no longer have issues in secret places. Because our encounter with the God who sees in secret would trump our secret issues. But obviously, we're not hosting God's presence in secret. Therefore, there's growth. Stuff growing out of us that shouldn't be there. That we try to hide. Amen? You ever seen somebody walking with a secret issue? You ever seen somebody walking with a secret issue? Man, what's wrong with you? Nothing. Man, I could tell something wrong with you, man. Because there used to be a grace on you that ain't on you no more. See, I'm not talking about walking, obviously, naturally. I'm just talking about there was a grace on you that ain't on you no more. There was something you were operating in that's not there no more. What happened? And then because we have secret issues, what we say, ain't nothing happening. Ain't nothing wrong. Right? Let me go on, and let me close this thing on out. Right? Therefore, they sent the ark of God to Ekron. Did I already read that? Verse 10, and it came to pass as the ark of God came to Ekron that the Ekronites cried out saying, they have brought about the ark of the God of Israel to us to slay us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go again to its own place. That if it slay us not, 
that it slay us not in our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. And the men that died not were smitten with emeralds. And the cry of the city went up to heaven. And the ark of the Lord, watch this, was in the county of the Philistines seven months. I'm going to just read a few more verses. After seven months, they said, this thing got to go. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do to the ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith shall, uh, we shall send it to his place. And they said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, send it not empty, but in any wise return him trespass offering, a trespass offering, then you shall be healed, and it shall be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Verse 4, Then said they, What shall be the trespass offering we shall return to him? They answered five golden emeralds and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for one plague was on all of you and your lords. It, it now reflects false worship. Anytime we are functioning in false worship, we think our secret issues is an acceptable offering to God. Their emeralds were their secret issues. They said... If we are going to properly honor God, we got to offer him our issues. To us, our private dysfunctions are gold. Our struggles are gold. Our secret sins that we've been struggling with while in church are gold. So we get up and preach stuff like, I don't care what nobody say. We all got our struggle. And God knows we got our struggle. And it's gold to God. We all got a closet. We all got a mess we still cleaning up. And that's what God wants us to offer. They took their issue and thought God wanted their issue when he died where they, so they wouldn't have issues no more. That's false worship. You don't know all the hell I've been through. Nobody needs your emeralds. You don't know what I did. We don't need your emeralds. Because you're, the reason why you're going through what you're going through is because you're being disobedient to victory. We're not called to obey laws. We're called to obey a victory. When I wake up in the morning, I have built-in grace to obey victory. But Philistine worship offers as gold. They took their issues and made them gold. And said, this is what God wants. He wants me to talk about how jacked up I am and he still loves me. He wants me to talk about how messed up I am and he still has his hand on me. He wants me to talk about how dysfunctional I am. This is what we offer to God. Our emeralds. Right? So sit up there and act like I'm the only one that didn't, was rebellious. You was rebellious too. You better give God... That's the epitome of false worship. Offering our issues as if they're gold. There's more there, but I'm going to stop. Our personal defects, listen to me and listen to me well. Our personal dysfunctions and our personal sins are not gold to God. He died to deliver us from them. We are not called to offer him our dysfunction. We're called to offer him the fruit of, our of his victory. My God, he won for me. My God, he rose for me. My God, he died for me. My God, he shed his blood for me. My God, he ascended to the right hand of the Father for me. My God, he sits on the right hand of the Father making intercession for me. My God, he has seated me with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far above every principality. Power. God says, where's my victory? There's only one way we can obey God. Live in victory every moment of our lives for the rest of Everybody standing to your feet. Thank you, Lord. Konda. Ridan de barrebo konsiat.